0: The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. If you have a hard time finding it, go to Psalms in the Old Testament and then head right. You'll pass Proverbs and then find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, we're spending our time this fall in this book. That can sometimes be painful, uh, but we are finding over and over. That's a good kind of painful. It's a pain that leads us uh, to freeing, to liberating truth. And so would you join me as we hear these words that are full of truth, that are full of grace, that come to us from our Father as we read Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Hear now the word of God. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they have no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor, This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For, they, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king, who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had not though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's palace. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to believe the goodness of these words? Once again, we hear things that are disturbing and things that are challenging. So give us a confidence in their goodness. Give us clarity to understand their message. Give us humility to receive that message and be changed by it. We do pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Make our minds new through the gifts of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? That was the title of an article that came out last year. It was the cover article for the magazine The Atlantic. And the main argument of the author was that although social media allows us to have broader connections, these new technologies in actuality prevent us from having deeper and meaningful community and relationships. And that thesis is debatable, and it was debated to no end on those technologies that he was criticizing. And some of, his, some of the statistics he used were questionable. But whether it's Facebook's fault or not, the question, the problem of loneliness still stands. And it's an issue that's not simply a topic for public intellectuals to talk about on the internet. It is an issue of very personal human concern for every person in this room. The problem of loneliness, of being alone. And that issue actually is one that is older than Facebook by a few thousand years. Because we find here in Ecclesiastes 4, the teacher struggling with the question, the problem of isolation, of being alone. He opens this chapter continuing to talk about injustice and oppression. He had started to talk about this at the end of chapter 3 and he continues that discussion. And he mourns the oppression, the injustice that exists in our world. But notice what he sees as the fullest extent of the tragedy of oppression. It's not only that the poor who should protect the weak use their power to exploit the weak. It is that those who are oppressed he says twice in verse 1 are left with no one to comfort them. They are lonely. They are alone. They are isolated. And it's not just a problem for the weak, it is a problem for the strong as well. This chapter ends with a parable about a poor, wise young man and an old, foolish king. And why is the king foolish? He's forgotten how to take advice. He has isolated himself. He is lonely. He has cut off Himself in his power, in his prestige, from the voice of wisdom. So, this morning I want us to join the teacher as he wrestles with the problem of loneliness in this chapter, the problem of isolation. And I want to ask two questions What causes this problem, and how do we respond to it? So, first of all, what causes this issue of isolation, of loneliness? Uh, There's an important repeated phrase in chapter 4. And you find it in verse 1, 4, 7, and 15. And it's the phrase, I saw. The teacher is observing loneliness. He's looking at his world and seeing this problem of isolation. And in the first and the last use of that phrase, he's describing the results of loneliness. So the oppressed who have no comforters and the king who is foolish because he cannot take advice. But in the middle two uses of this phrase, he is describing the causes of loneliness. So verse 4 he talks about envy, wanting what other people have, working motivated by comparison. And in verse 5 he talks about laziness. One who looks at the difficulty of living in the world and gives up. And ceases activity, isolates himself, and so consumes his own flesh, he says. And then in verses 7 and 8, he talks about an unsatisfied self-sufficiency. One who works harder and harder, trying to get more and more wealth and possessions for himself. But whose desire is never satisfied. These, the teacher tells us, are the causes of loneliness. And I want us to think about what connects these three things. Envy, laziness, and self-sufficiency. And I think they're all connected by individual appetite trumping relationships. So, Whether I'm working to get what you have, or whether I'm working just to get more for myself, or whether I'm not working at all, in every case, my personal consumption wins over your need, over communal need. It is the personal over the communal, it is the individual over the relationship. that connects all of these problems of envy, laziness, and self-sufficiency. Loneliness is not caused by Facebook. Facebook might enhance it. Other cultural pressures and structures might enhance it. But Facebook does not cause loneliness. Loneliness is caused by self-focused appetite. It is caused by self centered desire, triumphing over everything else. I don't agree with everything Wendell Berry says, but I do agree with Wendell Berry when he wrote that our economy, our culture creates loneliness and cultivates appetite. And I think the teacher would agree with Wendell Berry, but I think he would make a few changes to that statement. He would say our culture, our economy tend to Create loneliness by cultivating appetite. And the teacher would say that that is not an issue that is unique to modern Western culture. It is a fundamental human struggle. It is a universal human struggle because of sin. A couple of weeks ago I mentioned that under the surface of this book, under the surface of all the struggles that we see in Ecclesiastes is the event of Genesis chapter 3. Where Adam and Eve reject God and so harm the world by sin. And what is at the heart of sin? It is self-focused appetite. It is the choice of what I want In opposition to what God wants. And not only in opposition to what God wants, but in opposition to what is good for those around me. Sin is the victory of self-centeredness. And that's what causes loneliness in our world. It's what creates loneliness in our lives. It's what isolates us and those around us. And we can be victims of that, And the teacher mourns with us. And as we saw in the last chapter, he longs for the day when when God will make that oppression right. But we can also participate in that as well. And the teacher confronts us. Do you have the humility to receive his confrontation? How in your life, in your home, in your work, in your relationships, does envy Laziness, self-control, isolate you and others? In what ways does self-focused appetite win over relationships in your life? Where does the privilege of your desire for success, for status, for pleasure, triumph over the needs of those around you? So that's the problem, and it's an intimidating one. Loneliness caused by selfishness. It's an overwhelming problem. So, second question, how do we respond? Despair, guilt, shame. How do we respond to this overwhelming problem of isolation caused by self-centered Well, there's another phrase that is repeated throughout this chapter, and we find it in verse 3, we find it in verse 6, we find it in verse 9, and we find it in verse 13, I think, let me confirm that, yes, 3, 6, 9, and 13, and it's the phrase better than, and the better thans of Ecclesiastes 4 are the response to the I saws of Ecclesiastes 4, So the teacher observes this problem of loneliness, and then he responds to it with these better thans. And with them he does a kind of mathematics. Okay? So follow this with me as he plays with numbers a little bit. Verse 3, he says zero is better than one. He looks at the oppression, he looks at the isolation of those who are oppressed, and he is deeply grieved by it. And he is so grieved that he says maybe it was better not to be born at all. Zero is better than one. But he doesn't stop there. He goes in verse 6, and in response to the problem of envy and laziness, he says one is better than two. So one handful of quietness, and that word means rest or calm. One handful of quietness is better than two handfuls of all this striving to try to get what other people have. And then verse 9, in response to the problem of self sufficiency, not one is better than two, but two is better than one. And even more, three is better still in verse 12. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And then finally in verse 13, he says, One and, and many is better than one and alone. The king who has rejected his advisors is inferior to this poor young man who can take advice. What's the point? What's the point of all of these math, the mathematics, all of the calculations of this chapter? Well, the teacher doesn't want to avoid this overwhelming problem of loneliness. And so, yes, he grieves it, but his calculations move him beyond his grief. And in the face of overwhelming isolation, he celebrates the benefits of ordinary friendships, of ordinary companionship. Verse 3 is disconcerting when he says maybe it's better to never have been born because of this problem. But his math takes him beyond verse 3 to verse 9 where what he says is absolutely shocking if you're paying attention to the book of Ecclesiastes. Because throughout this book he has said there's no gain. All of your striving after the wind, there's no gain. There's no reward. There's no profit. There's no advantage. Until he comes to relationships in verse 9 and he says finally, here is something that has a good reward, to work, and to have someone to share it with. Ordinary friendships. And please hear the word ordinary and see it in this passage. This is not a philosophical celebration of some sort of utopian community. This is practical people caring for one another. People who pick each other up. People who keep each other warm. And people who provide a safe place for each other. If you'll excuse the cliche, this is people to whom you can say, I've got your back. We had friends in town yesterday. Uh, They were on their way to Disney and they stopped in Tallahassee. There's some friends from Ohio and they spent the night last night with us. And we got to know Will and Valerie and we lived in Ohio. And it was a time of both of our lives where they were newly married and no kids. And we were fairly newly married and one kid. And we had tons of time. It was a great friendship. And we would spend all this time having fun together, enjoying long and deep conversations with each other. And it was a great experience. And that was not the experience of yesterday. <laughs> because we now have three young kids apiece. And speaking of math, if you combine three young kids with three more young kids, it's like 87 creatures <laughs> of chaos, all right? Crazy. Uh, the goal of the friendship yesterday was, let's get to the end of the day without anyone dying. You know, that's it. And we get to the end of the day, we put the kids to bed, and we're so exhausted, we can't have a deep philosophical conversation. We just, we're ready to go to sleep. That's the kind of friendship that the teacher is talking about. People who can get through the day without dying. (laughs) They can care for each other in practical ways. They can pick each other up, they can keep each other warm in appropriate ways. Single young guys. This is like, this is the life verse of a lot of college Christian young men. Let's keep each other warm, you know? (laughs) The people who pick each other up, keep each other warm. Provide a safe place for one another. The response to this, the response to what the teacher is celebrating here in the face of loneliness, ordinary friendship, our response is is not to look at those benefits and say, oh, I wish I had them. Our response should should be to go and be those benefits to the people in our lives. Not the people we want to be in our lives, not those ideals out there, but the flesh and blood people who who are in our lives, to be these benefits to them, to give them this gift part of a long tradition of scripture saying to us don't just love God love your neighbor as yourself a neighbor does not always mean the person across the street but it does imply proximity it's the people who are in front of you love them care for them pick them up keep them warm Give them safety. We should want that for our homes, want that for our marriages, our families, other relationships through school and work, on campus and campus ministries, and we should want that for our church. (laughs) You read the the, the book of Acts, this amazing story of the beginning of the Christian church. And there are some crazy miraculous things that happen. Tongues of fire. People being healed. But throughout all of this extraordinary happenings that occur because of the Holy Spirit's work in the church, what characterizes the church? Apostles teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and they cared for each other. They cared for each other so much that they were willing to sell their own possessions to provide for someone's need. And We read that and there are all sorts of weird interpretations of that. This is not some sort of Marxist commune. It is simply a group of people in response to what Jesus had done for them, caring for each other. If someone had a need, someone else sold their stuff to meet that need. And they saw that as central to their calling as the people of Jesus in the world. We should see that as central to our calling as well. But still, that pull of self-centeredness, you know it, right? The pull of self-focused appetite, that saying to you, hey, make a friend, be a friend, care for each other, doesn't overcome that tug in your heart. It just reminds us that we need to go to the one who created that community in Acts. We need to hear the challenge of the teacher with the empowerment of the gospel of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that as the New Testament tells the story of Jesus, the closer he gets to the cross, the more isolated, the more lonely he becomes. All his friends, his disciples, his family, they all run until he is hanging alone on the cross and says, My God, my God, why have you left me? Why did Jesus do that? He did that to take on the loneliness that human sin has created. He entered the depths of our isolation to replace it with friendship by reconciling us to God and by working in us to free us to love each other and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus took your loneliness to give you the gift of friendship. In the article that I mentioned earlier, is Facebook making us lonely? And the author describes the closing scene of the movie The Social Network. And this movie ends uh, with the Mark Zuckerberg character sitting at his computer, and he sends a friend request to his ex-girlfriend. And the closing scene is him sitting in a dark room with just the, the glow of his screen, hitting refresh on the website waiting for her response. What an image, not just of our culture, but of human isolation, of human loneliness. But more than that, for us who are in Jesus, what a call to receive the gift of the gospel, the grace of God who makes us His friends, and to have that grace propel us into each other's lives, and into the world around us to give the gift of ordinary friendship. Let's pray.